Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. the ultimate kibosh. <laughs> and we are underway. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Action Network NFL Podcast. I'm Matthew Friedman, the editor-in-chief of Fantasy Labs. Super Bowl 53 is in the books. It was a defensive battle with the Patriots triumphing over the Rams 13-3. Here with me to look back at the big game and more importantly, to help me fill some airtime so we can talk about our sponsors. We have Sean Corner and Chris Raybon. Sean is the Action Network Director of Predictive Analytics and one of the top in-season fantasy pros rankers for the past half decade. And Chris is a senior editor and analyst at the Action Network and a co-host of All Take That Bets on ESPN+. You can follow them in the Action Network app at the underscore oddsmaker. And Chris Raybon, use the app, of course, to get real-time NFL odds and track your bets. Gentlemen, if my audio quality is not quite as good as it usually is. It's because I'm visiting my parents in Texas where I have literally no internet. I'm using my phone as a hotspot. Instead of traveling with my microphone, I have bought one here just to leave it so I can you know, have decent sound quality, hopefully, when I'm visiting in Texas. Why am I here in the Lone Star State? Because my mom wanted to watch the Super Bowl with me. So that's what happened. I watched the Super Bowl with my mom. She's just sitting there screaming at the television while I'm tracking my bets in the Action Network app and on the computer trying to pretend as if I don't have way too much money invested in the game. That was my Super Bowl watching experience. Sean, how was yours? Uh, it was excellent. Um, if, if you read my player prop article, those plays went six and two. I also have been doing a um, most yardage prop article throughout the playoffs and hit both on Sonny Michelle as a top rusher and Julian Edelman as a top receiver. So yeah, how, overall I had a good day. I had way more action out than, than my article. And uh, I think I hit like, I think it was like 70%. So overall it was a good game. As a closet Rams fan, it was not good, but money is more important. So I would say overall it was plus EV for me. Yeah. Chris, what about you? Were you watching it in the office? I was. If you uh, if you happen to tune into the Action Network live stream, you probably saw me uh, down a few Coronas there. Chilling with Chad Millman, Blackjack, Darren Ravel, all the guys at the office. You know, same here for the Super Bowl. It was a really good day prop-wise. You know, I think that was something that we all were kind of really excited about. And, you know, it was just a really kind of strong day with that one. Had the Rams for the Super Bowl. So, you know, that that pick didn't work out. But Went seven and four overall in the app, and uh, like Sean had a bunch of action, you know, spread out on various props. And uh, I, I'm calling Sean the the Sony Michelle whisperer though, because I, I think it was pretty much every week of the playoffs that Sean hit on uh, Sony Michelle as the the leading rusher. But I'm also excited to talk to you guys about the the obvious reason we're here, the Alliance of American Football. You know, we just got some futures on those, so I think we got to dive in. Uh, yes, honestly, I was thinking about, we should like save that for another podcast where we have a a futures (laughs) podcast for the, uh, Alliance league, because honestly, I'm not even joking right before we jumped on this podcast, I was also researching for the Alliance, uh, the Alliance league. And I don't know, we, we don't want to give too much away, but a lot of, a lot of interesting analysis, I think to go into a, a league that doesn't exist yet. But anyway, let's progress with the show for this episode. In addition to reviewing the Super Bowl, 
which I actually enjoyed, but lots of people didn't. We can maybe talk about that. Uh, we're going to look back at 2018 and look ahead to 2019 specifically. We're going to discuss the first round of our 2019 fantasy football rankings. Sean Raybon and I released our top 150 immediately after the Super Bowl, literally the second the game ended. And you can find those rankings at the Action Network along with the rest of our written content. Guys, Super Bowl 53, let's get into it. We talked about how we all did well on our props. Man, considering that the Zerline props, not one of them hit for me, and that I did poorly, basically as poorly as you can do in in in-game wagering, because I, I took the Rams at plus three and a half once the line got there. I had taken, before the game, I took under at, I believe, 57 and a half. But when the number got to 41 and a half, I took the over to try to get a middle. That didn't work out. So I once again took the over at like 27 and a half to try to you know get some, some action there. And that didn't work out. But considering none of that worked out, everything else worked out. It was a wonderful game. And so many of the unders for these players hit. And I felt like I hit all of the unders well. And then when I went long on certain players, like Edelman, with the most receiving yards, Michelle with the most rushing yards, and obviously a hat tip to Sean and his wonderful articles there. It just, it seemed to be like a perfect way for everything unfolding. And even with the the game props, there were no safeties, right? The game didn't go to overtime. All of those props where uh, you have to lay a lot of juice, but there's still value on it. All of those things hit. So it was just kind of like this perfect storm of everything falling right for prop betters. So that's, you know, Zerline aside, <laughs> like that's how, that's how everything went. I'm curious, the bets that worked out for you guys, what were your favorites? And Chris, I, I want to kick it to you. What was kind of like your favorite way of attacking the game and what worked out for you? My thing was in this game was I felt pretty strongly that it would go under the total. So I was kind of operating from, from that perspective. I wrote a couple articles up on the Action Network about, you know, one on the, the Rams defense and how it was allowing two yards less per pass attempt with a keep to leave on the field and, and just some of the things he allowed Wade Phillips to do. And, um, you know, on the other side, just really, really impressed with the Patriots defense and their game planning for the year, especially after the bye with how they kind of slowed down elite duos. So they held Tyree Kill and Kelsey in the championship game, then Juju and AB and Thielen and Diggs after the bye to a combined 2.9 catches for 45 yards less per member of the duo. So I was kind of operating from that standpoint. And so for the Rams, you know, I went, you know, I got Cooks under five and a half receptions at plus 130, went under his yardage as well. Cooks actually went over, but because I was kind of looking at the under for these plays, you know, I, you know, a lot of people were kind of looking at, you know, Gurley and, and Everett and things like that. And I kind of wrote up, you know, hey, I'm not actually going to to look at like corresponding correlated overs here because I think that this game could just be ugly. And, you know, the Patriots are allowing only 20.6 completions per game. So that worked out. And on the other side, you know, I had under on Dorsett, who I don't think he even got a target in this game. So I had under on his catches and yards. And, uh, you know, all, all together, it really worked out. I had some other unders as well. Uh, Josh Reynolds, I really had a lot, of res- a lot of respect for the Patriots. D, So I had under Josh Reynolds, three and a half receptions, which worked out. And then some of my game props, uh, my favorite one, I, I've been talking about it a lot, but Andre 3000, I thought there was no way three stacks was coming on stage at the Super Bowl. And he had already turned down a Super Bowl show. He, you know, there was a whole controversy with just the NFL and how they're treating Kaepernick and whatnot. So that actually worked out. And I actually got it again. It, the odds went way down. I'm guessing somebody laid a pretty large wager on him coming on stage because when I first saw the odds, they were minus 400. And I was able to get it again on game day at minus 140. So really happy about that. Rayvon, a, a couple of things going off of what you said there. So one, the Patriots and the ability that they've shown, especially after the bye to shut down elite receiving duos. And a lot of that is due to Stefan Gilmore. And, you know, man, he's, I mean, it's hard to say that he's the best cornerback in the league, like in general, because it's just, it's a hard position to play. There's a lot of variability year to year, but he was probably the best corner in the league this year, you know, at, at least one of the top two or three. And uh, I mean, he really enabled the Patriots to do a lot of impressive things on defense, especially in the second half of the season. So yeah, very impressed by what he did and that defense did in this game. And then what you talked about with the the closing line value that you were able to find, I saw some people 
on Twitter mentioned this, uh, Rufus Peabody, who's, you know, like one of the, the prop masters of Super Bowl betting, mentioned on Twitter that he almost wishes that he had just waited till the day of the game to, to make a lot of his bets because there was so much value that was realized the day of. And uh, I, I noticed that too. So something to kind of keep in mind for future seasons, you know, not to say that that is always going to be the dynamic, but that was something that was definitely in play last year, where if we like a lot of the unders on props in future years, knowing that the public tends to like the over, it it might be the sharp play just to wait kind of as long as possible for some of those game props and player props, just to see if there's more value the day of. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point because I should have mentioned that one of my biggest strategies with these prop bets in general was taking unders. I mean, I would say that a good, you know, if not 75% or more of my prop bets were on unders. I also had a lot of um, players not to score a touchdown, which as you can imagine, worked out incredibly well with only one player scoring a touchdown. So yeah, I think the, oh, the unsexy bets with these props are usually always the ones that's, uh, that tend to be a little bit more profitable. Yeah. Sean, what about you? What were the favorite bets you liked that worked out? Yeah. So uh, kind of going back to what you were just talking about, but I love the James White under six and a half that was being offered yeah. on specific sports books. So I pounced on that early. It was, it was definitely a whole entire reception too high. I had it around five and a half. So I took the under at minus 115, maxed out completely. And then, you know, it kept creeping up. So by kickoff, it was plus 115 which is just absurd. I, I wrote a whole article, um, you know, I was breaking down the percent chance that James White would get exactly six receptions. And that alone was like 16%. So there was just a massive edge in getting that extra reception. So, you know, I love that bet. I love the Jared Goff under eight and a half rushing yards. And we saw early on, he, he was running um, to the sideline and they call it an incomplete pass. But if he stepped out there, I think it would have been a negative two yard rush. So I was tracking things like that during the game. That's the best part of props, in my opinion. But there, there were some opportunities for Goff to kind of scramble, but he's just, he just doesn't have it. So he would just run directly to the sideline and either throw it away or just get clobbered. So that, that was easy. He ended up with zero, I believe. Another one that I loved was James Devlin, under three and a half total yards. That was an easy under with zero. And then I love the, uh, the prop we talked about. It was over 122 and a half total field goal yards made. <laughs> yeah. And I had, I had that being around like 133, 134. So I bet the over 122 and a half, I maxed out at it. I didn't really know what the percent chance of the over was. Like I said, I didn't really have anything set up to gauge how valuable like 10 yards in that market would be, but it ended up hitting like exactly, I believe it was like 136. So that was a fun one to bet on. And get nearly right but we'll get to the bets that we didn't get right later on but all the all the ones that I really liked hit and hit pretty easily yeah I mean it's a way of transitioning to the bets that didn't work out I mean all of the Zerline props for me just bombed (laughs) if he had been able to connect on that long you know I think it was you know 40 plus maybe like 48 yard field goal near the end of regulation that would have saved all of the the field goal props for over one and a half for the Rams and also uh, pushed it to uh, over two and a half for the, the game total. So that didn't work out, but I still actually feel pretty good about, you know, the process there considering that he did get the attempt and he is a highly accurate kicker. But uh, yeah, Chris, I want to hear what didn't work out for you. So uh, the main one that didn't work out was actually one I mentioned earlier, which was Brandon cooks who, you know, ended up having a pretty good game and uh, surpassing his uh, reception and yardage props. Now, I, I was, you know, I think the Patriots, amazing game plan once again from Bill Belichick because, you know, I think we, going up to the game, one thing that we thought was probably going to happen was Gilmore was going to follow um, Robert Woods a little bit more. And what, ended, what they did more was actually put Gilmore on Cooks. They also played a lot more zone than they have tended to play. They played about 40% zone, which might not seem like a lot, but this is a team that's, uh, that hasn't even played that much uh, many times this year. So that one didn't really work out. Um, but again, luckily, you know, I didn't kind of try to correlate, you know, that play with a bunch of like, you know, Gerald Everett and, and Tyra Higby overs, because as I looked at the props, oh, the value, value had been, you know, essentially bet out of them already. So, you know, it, it ended up working out. But yeah, Brandon Cooks really, uh, he got me with, the, with his game. Sean, what about you? So right off the bat, I had that Chris Hogan would get the first catch of 
the game for the Pats. I wrote an article on this too. I I had him as a value at uh, it was twenty five to one to get the first catch in the game. I wanted to take the luck of getting the ball first and whatnot out of it, so I, I took him twelve to one to catch the first pass for the Pats, and that was actually Brady's first target, the one that got tipped and Littleton picked off. So I was a little pissed about that. That should have been a win there. Um, and then I think the the most fascinating thing about this game was sort of trying to gauge who the MVP was going to be. I, I feel like everybody had a chance. So going into the game, I had Sonny Michelle at 20 to one and Robert Woods at 50 to one. And, you know, towards the end when Michelle had the touchdown and they were running down the clock, I thought he had a chance, even though I, I, I knew that Edelman would probably win, but there was still that hope that the Rams would win the game and hopefully Robert Woods would catch the touchdown pass and he would hit 50 to one. So I just felt like there's so many guys even on the defensive side, I feel like Jason McCourty had a great game. He um, he broke up a deep pass to Josh Reynolds, uh, and then he um, he was the guy that broke up the play where Brandon Cooks ended up wide open in the back of the end zone, and he knocked it out. So it was just fun to track sort of like who the hell's the MVP going to go to, and, and both my guys had a chance until the very end. So I, I feel like that was – even though it was a boring game, that was kind of the, the more fascinating things to kind of root for during the game. Yeah, so I would like your – feedback on this uh both of you guys i didn't really think it was a boring game and maybe part of it was just because i was like in euphoria because all of my props were hitting but (laughs) aside from that i kind of actually didn't think it was a boring game (laughs) you know i but but i might be totally off on that i don't know what do do you guys think let me retract that real quick i I don't mean boring in a sense i said that uh about the bears rams game that cold game or golf just with yeah. a crapper in there. I don't mean boring. I mean defensive struggle. And when you have all this action out there, it is more exciting to see things get close. So, yeah, I take that away. Boring is not the right term. I just think both defenses look good. And, you know, I, I forgot to mention Hightower also could have won MVP. And if he didn't drop that interception, mm-hmm. he could have taken away it too. So there were so many guys on the Pats defensive side of the ball that – I think deserved the MVP. So yeah, it was fascinating to watch, you know, how the game planned um, and figured the Rams out. But, you know, f- for wanting a high scoring game, it definitely was frustrating to watch. But like you said, it, it was it was good football still. Yeah, I mean, Raymond, what did you think about the game just kind of like from an aesthetic perspective? Because lots of people are like, oh, that was such a horrible Super Bowl. I didn't enjoy watching it. I liked it. I thought it was fascinating. I would stop short of saying it was exciting. I think, it, again, it was exciting, like Sean said, because we had a ton of props and you know, most of them were doing well, but it was a kind of a sloppy game in the sense that you had Brady missing a bunch of throws. You had a uh, Goff just, I, I mean, he was that the sack where he kind of looked like he kneeled down or something almost to, to take him out of field goal range was, was horrible. So there were some plays that, that I thought were pretty sloppy, but I was just fascinated by the defensive play. And I, and I tend to like actually, you know, enjoy lower scoring defensive battles. But, um, you know, this one was, I would say this one was more exciting because of the the betting aspect and because of the on-field product. Yeah. In terms of a favorite bet, I mean, I think the favorite bet, it's funny, in terms of like both one that worked and didn't work, the bet with Blackjack, the Zerline part of that didn't work out for me. But being able to take action against Brady winning the MVP, I liked that because I actually thought it was, uh, you know, he this hasn't been a great year for him. So I thought the odds were against the Patriots winning anyway. And then I thought even if the Patriots did win, there was a decent chance that it could be a running back or a wide receiver who would win instead of Brady. So that was, you know, in terms of that total, the total bet, the zero line part didn't work out, but liked the Brady part. Guys, this is the part in the show that everyone looks forward to. It's where I get to talk about Audible. They are a sponsor of the show, and we are very pleased to have them because you can listen with Audible to something other than my soothing voice. You can listen to professional readers read books. There's never been a better time to start listening on Audible. With Audible, you get access to an unbeatable selection of audiobooks, including bestsellers, motivation, mysteries, thrillers, memoirs, and more. Audible has the largest selection of audiobooks on the planet. And now, with Audible Originals, the selection has gotten even more custom with content made for members. Audible members can choose three titles every month, one audiobook, and two Audible Originals you can't hear anywhere else. Audible members also get access to exclusive audio fitness programs to start the new year off on the right foot. Although, let's be honest, technically it's not a new year anymore. So if you're still in your audio fitness program with Audible, 
kudos to you because it's February. You've made it through the hardest month of the year. Listen on any device, anytime, anywhere, at home, at the gym, on your commute, or just on the go. You'll also enjoy easy audiobook exchanges, rollover credits, and an audiobook library you keep forever, even if you cancel. Audible, the most inspiring minds, the most compelling stories, the best place to listen. Get started with a 30-day trial when you go to audible.com slash action or text action to 500-500 and listen for change. That is audible, A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash action or text action, A-C-T-I-O-N to 500-500. Gentlemen, let's get back to the show and let's talk about 2018, just the season in general. Let's kind of think about the big picture things. What did we get right? What did we get wrong? Chris, I want to kick it to you. What did you get right? What did you get wrong? Well, I think the biggest one for me that that helped me win a lot of leagues was uh, I actually had Patrick Mahomes ranked as my number six quarterback. And so, you know, obviously he wasn't going until usually the double digit rounds in a lot of drafts. So he was pretty much my like autoplay quarterback in, in a lot of leagues. And that obviously helped out a ton. Some other ones. I got right to Chris Carson. I was higher on him than consensus and lower on Rashad Penny. That ended up working out well. A little higher on Matt Breida. A lot lower on Ronald Jones. I think I had him at 59th in PPR. So that worked out. A little bit lower on Dalvin Cook. Um, That ended up working out. Same for Doug Baldwin. A little bit higher on Tyreek Hill, who ended up finishing as the number two. And same thing for uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, like five spots higher than consensus on him. And he ended up finishing as the uh, PPR wide receiver eight. But overall, I would say Patrick Mahomes by far was uh, the key play for me. Sean, what about you? For me, I would say the number one thing I got right was when I was advocating to not draft a kicker defense and um, – <laughs> Use those two slots to add running backs like James Conner and yeah. Chris Ivory <laughs> because you never know. And, you know, we had – we may forget now, but LaShawn McCoy was dealing with some legal trouble. So, you know, just hanging on to a guy like Chris Ivory, you know, is worth it. And then if it if the situation clears up, you drop him right before the season starts and you pick up your kicker. But James Conner definitely worked out. And, you know, I think that all, all the leagues where I didn't have to draft a kicker defense, I had him. So that helped out tremendously. And the other thing I got was, you know, this frozen pond Terry always talked about. I knew you were going to come back to that. Guys like Alex Collins and Kenyon Drake. I mean, it just goes to show that when it gets to the point in the draft where, where guys are ranked where they should be, but their situation's, you know, a little murky. They don't have the job security, or we at least don't know if they have job security. It's just so risky taking guys that early in the draft. So I feel like I got that right. And the the only other thing I could think of off the top of my head was advocating to kind of let people take Gronk first. I I guess I got that wrong because I still had Gronk ranked number one tight end. I forgot about that. But kind of let people take Gronk, set the market for tight end, and then scoop up Kelsey or Ertz, you know, in rounds three or four. And that panned out tremendously as well. So I think those three things I would say I got read the most. Yeah, I think... Andrew Luck. Uh, I was pretty bullish on him early on. I think kind of being ahead of, of the market there uh, was one of the the big things that I got right. And then kind of correlated with that, some of the players on his team, T.Y. Hilton had a good bounce back year. Eric Ebron also, although it was a touchdown infused year, I think I was relatively high on him relative to the market. And it really had not so much to do with his talent although that, you know, kind of was there, but really just the opportunity that he would have because there was no one else on that team except for T.Y. Hilton and Jack Doyle. And then with uh, Doyle's injury, a lot of opportunity for Ebron to, uh, to get further targets. So that's one of the things I got right. Getting wrong, man, I was, and I think this is something just kind of across the industry. I didn't take seriously enough the possibility of Le'Veon Bell turning his situation into an actual situation. You know, like I just thought it would be something similar to what we saw last year. He would show up in week one and play, or, you know, maybe he would sit out week one just to kind of punish the team a little bit. But I, I think I should have been more aggressive in moving him down. I believe I did move him down to four, you know, like out of the top four, I think that's fine. But I should have, I think, probably been a little more aggressive in, in moving him down. But it, it's hard to know. And so I, I would kind of like your guys' thoughts on this because the, the Le'Veon Bell-James Connor situation, I think, is one of the defining things of this season from a fantasy perspective. 
should we have done more with Le'Veon Bell in terms of moving him down and moving James Conner up? I would say probably yes, because I remember we, you know, we had a lot of interesting conversations about some of those other guys that were also potentially going to miss time. Uh, you know, Josh Gordon, Alshon Jeffrey, uh, Mark Ingram. So, you know, I think there, there's probably, you have to factor in, I guess, how many games could this guy realistically miss? Like, what are the potential outcomes there? Especially when you're at such a high leverage pick. Like, I think, you know, as you go down the draft board, you could take a lot more risks, um, you know, as the draft gets later on. Because if you look at the numbers, as far as, you know, how many picks end up being, you know, a top 12 guy after the sixth round or whatever, uh, it, it tends to be very low. So you, you have a lot more kind of leeway to take risks. But when you're talking about your first overall pick, I think you want it to be uh, as safe as possible. And uh, Le'Veon Bell was anything but. Yeah, Sean, what do you think about the Le'Veon Bell situation? Should we have done something differently? Or like, how would you use the knowledge now of what happened with Le'Veon Bell this year to inform any decisions we make in the future when it comes to players who are in similar situations? I would say this, this particular situation, hindsight's twenty twenty. I wouldn't beat yourself up too much for taking him early. But, you know, like Rayvon mentioned, you do want your first pick to be pretty safe. So, you know, going for any guy that's potentially a holdout, we, we have to take that seriously. And I, I think more on the flip side, when it comes to Connor, like I mentioned earlier, it's it's about finding those guys that could take advantage of these types of situations on, you know, getting them super cheap. I think that's the best way to approach this than trying to avoid these types of situations because you know every draft all of our first three picks were taking a chance somewhat because if these guys get hurt week one you know it, it kind of screws our chances so I wouldn't want to be too risk adverse in the beginning and more focus on the guys at the later in the draft that you can kind of attack to take advantage of these types of situations. All right, Chris, uh, I want your thoughts on something that didn't work out for you, but you don't think it was necessarily a mistake because you still think that the process was something that was sound. Uh, sure. You know, I think, uh, you know, I had Dion Lewis number 20. So that was a little high. I think you guys had him at 24. So I was pretty high on him. And, you know, for the first, I think, you know, he did get his, his chances uh, for the, for, for most of the season. And, you know, it just, for whatever reason, it just didn't really work out for him. Um, you know, he was even, you know, stealing some goal line carries from Derrick Henry at one point. You know, he was up to 80% of the snaps or so, but it just didn't really work out. But you're always looking for the volume. And then um, then kind of Henry took over and, uh, you know, down the stretch. And now I think this is Henry's backfield. I don't think you want to even mess around with the multi-back set. But I did think that, you know, going into the season, they were going to give Lewis, uh, you know, that volume and every chance to, to kind of be that lead guy. Sean, what about you? Things I got wrong, I, I wanted to point out, if you didn't bring it up, I was going to say you nailed the Andrew Luck call back in June, I think it was, when you started to buy in on him. And I definitely thought that he was going to have some issues with his shoulder due to personal experiences. But, you know, as, as we saw him throw and, you know, we were pretty convinced that he was pretty healthy, I changed my mind. But definitely got that wrong considering he put up, you know, practically MVP numbers this year. And the other thing I got wrong was sort of in season when Amari Cooper got traded. I thought his uh, stock would take a hit. Usually guys that get traded in season, people sort of overreact to that and sort of, you know, overweight them or think they're going to do better in the new offense or something. And I just thought that, you know, it might be till next year that he would sort of fit in with the offense. And I couldn't have been more wrong. So I was a little late on the curve with uh, Amari. I think a guy like Golden Tate, that's typically what happens. You see a guy sort of be the man in the offense and then he's sort of like the third or fourth option. Yeah, I, I don't know if there's much to take away from that, but I definitely yeah. got Amari Cooper wrong uh, after we went to the Cowboys. Yeah. Okay, so uh, those were mistakes, but mistakes that you think you didn't actually make a mistake, whereas just the results differed from the process. What about those? Yeah, so two running backs that I was targeting that should have been right, they kind of worked out, but they didn't at the same time, were Tevin Coleman and Derrick Henry. I was thinking you can get these guys pretty cheap, and a guy like Tevin Coleman – he pretty much already has value where he was getting drafted. I think it was like sixth or seventh round. And that if Devontae Freeman gets hurt, you know, he's usually a RB1. And that's exactly what happened. But he didn't really put up the production we're used to seeing when Devontae Freeman's out. And then with Derrick Henry, it was so weird because, you know, at the beginning of the year, it was just, you know, Deion Lewis's backfield. And Derrick Henry was sort of just the guy that 
we get goal line carry every once in a while. And then he did pan out in, in the uh, fancy playoffs. So, <laughs> um, you know, if you had him, you might not have even made it that far to, you know, get the benefit of Henry just exploding at the end of the year. So that, that was kind of a scenario where my process worked. It was just the results were, um, you know, not what they should have been. And the, the other one would have been the Buccaneers quarterback situation. You know, I had a lot of Jameis Winston and Fitzpatrick, the combo on some of my teams. And that was a nightmare trying to figure out week to week which guy to to play. Um, they, they frequently got benched in game, but they both combined for the QB2 overall. Yeah. So it was, it was like I got that situation right, but it resulted in losses in this one team that I invested in the Buccaneers QB, just whoever it was. So that was a situation I think I got right, but it didn't pan out. Yeah. So thinking about Coleman and Derrick Henry, I think one of the the mistakes that I made was, I wouldn't even say that was kind of the frozen pond tier. I think those guys were a little after the frozen pond tier, but uh, investing too heavily in some of those running backs in the middle rounds. And part of it was, it's kind of similar to the idea that you had that, uh, you know, Deion Lewis might get get injured and Derrick Henry could have a bigger load. Uh, Same with Freeman getting injured. Coleman could get a bigger load. Kind of looking to invest in running backs that I thought had upside outside of those, uh, you know, maybe kind of like top 20. It just, it didn't work out for so many of those guys in that middle range. It worked out for like a seemingly huge number of guys drafted after round 10. It worked out for Connor. It, it worked out for like multiple 49ers running backs. It just, it, you know, it seemingly worked out like, like by the time we got to like week 14, it just seemed like there were a whole bunch of no name running backs who were out there just putting up fantasy points, you know? So it's an interesting situation where you kind of have to understand that each year, it's just a position where you see so much attrition, but it's still hard sometimes to know how to exploit that in the right way. And so for me, it just, you know, I think I had that mentality, right? That perspective of knowing that I want to invest relatively early on in wide receivers. I want to try to target some of those running backs who uh, have the capability of producing if the guy in front of them gets injured or, you know, it just doesn't work out for that guy or whatever reason, but it just, I didn't get the right running backs. It it didn't work out. I think it was still, uh, you know, decent strategy. I had the right perspective, just wasn't able to land on the right players. All right, I'm going to take a quick break from the show to tell you guys about Robinhood. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission-free. While other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees, so you can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. Plus, there is no account minimum deposit needed to get started, so you can start investing at any level. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. View easy-to-understand charts and market data and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock collections, such as 100 Most Popular. With Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio, discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners of the Action Network NFL podcast a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Sign up at action.robinhood.com. But gentlemen, I think this is uh, a nice little moment. Favorite sports betting moment of 2018. I would like to get your perspectives on this. For me, it was triumphing over Chris Raybon when I told him that the Colts, in fact, were better than the Houston Texans. And they beat them not once, but twice. So anyway, that was that was a nice personal moment for me. But uh, Chris, what was your favorite sports betting moment of 2018? I would have to say one of the times when I picked the 49ers and you tell me I was crazy. And they, I think it was against the Seahawks. <laughs> yes. And, uh, you know, because it was just the every week thing. We were just going back and forth on the Niners. And, uh, you know, I was already pretty upset about the whole, you know, Jimmy G going down early because I uh, had some uh, had some money on him and, and on the 49ers to, to go pretty far. But, uh, you know, late in the season with, with Nick Mullins, they kind of came back around a little bit and, and put up some good games. So happy to take that to you, just like you're happy to take the uh, the, the, the Texans to me, which, oh, man, they did. They, I'm still waiting for them to show up in, in the playoffs because uh, <laughs> they did not. They did not show up for that game. Yeah, I think it was multiple weeks in a row you got me with the 49ers. It was it was just embarrassing. Sean, what about you? 
I would say my best sports betting moment was a uh, divisional round. Like I mentioned earlier, I was, I was doing those articles on who will get the most passing, rushing, receiving yards. I tallied it up. They went six and eight for plus 21.7 units. But the best moment was uh, the divisional round when I had Edelman at 12 to one and Michael Thomas at eight to one. Uh, and it was towards the end of the Saints game where I think Thomas needed just like one more catch to win the market. And that was to overtake Edelman. So it was basically, you know, am I going to win the 12 to 1 bet or the 8 to 1 bet? So that that was like fun to watch unfold. So I, I'd say that was my best moment because I did write that up and I had a lot of people that were, were telling that pick too. So that that always means a yeah. lot when other people benefit from my pick other than just something I bet in the dark. So that that was my favorite moment. Yeah. And that was one that I jumped on to just in terms of betting and then also writing about because that plus 800 was still available the day of, even with the weather concerns that we had in Kansas City that day, which I think basically wiped out the chances that Tyreek Hill or T.Y. Hilton would lead the weekend in receiving yards. So the fact that those guys were basically off the board, but Michael Thomas was still available at plus 800, I jumped all over that. And that you're right, that was a fantastic moment because that was, I believe that was the last game of the divisional round too to see him hit that that was that was a very nice moment yeah and you you said hilton hilton and tyreek but kelsey was in that game too so oh yeah like, you're right. yeah a lot of uh, the, the runners in that game yeah you're right okay let's throttle down a little bit so i can tell you about what i'm wearing right now which is my mac weldon hoodie uh i know you guys are jealous mac weldon's mission is simple to make sure all your basics and beyond are smartly designed and that shopping for them is easy and convenient. And frankly, Mack Weldon is better than whatever you are wearing right now. And I say that you guys can't see me, but I can see Chris and Sean. And I can say definitively that what I'm wearing right now is better than what they are wearing. Mack Weldon believes in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. I hate shopping online for anything, but especially clothes. And I have to say shopping for Mack Weldon on their website was literally a pleasure. I enjoyed it. So lots to sort through and very easy to acquire. Mack Weldon will be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants, and more that you will ever wear. They have a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial, which means that they eliminate odor. They want you to be comfortable. So if you don't like your first pair, you can keep it and they will still refund you. No questions asked. Not only does Mack Weldon underwear, socks, and shirts look good, but they perform well too. Good for working out, going to work. You know, for me, going to work is basically just waking up and going to my computer, but you know, still good for that. Going out on dates, just everyday life. I love the hoodie. I wear it basically all the time. I need to get a new hoodie just to replace this hoodie for the one day a week that I choose to wash it, you know, but it doesn't smell because I have the silver shirt underneath it. So, you know, it's perfect. Get 20% off of your first order. Visit MacWeldon.com and enter the promo code ACTION at checkout. That is ACTION at checkout. Okay, guys, 2019, it's months away, but it's basically already here. You can start drafting best ball leagues at a number of platforms. So for everyone who is degenerate slash ahead of the curve enough to be doing that, we have released our top 150 fantasy rankings I'm interested in the general trends that you guys noticed when you were doing these rankings. So for instance, I noticed that I'm pretty high on rookies and it's for me, you know, this early in the season, before we even know where the rookies land, it's kind of a strategic thing. I feel like there is a lot of uncertainty when it comes to the rookies. And so a lot of potential league winning, you know, performances could maybe be found with some of those guys. Whereas with all of the guys who are veterans right now, like we have a pretty solid sense for almost all of them of what their capabilities are and within like a range of outcomes, what they might do next year. But we really don't have as much of a sense with the rookies. So I like to be pretty aggressive in ranking them up. Those are the things I noticed with my rankings. Sean, what did you notice with your rankings? Uh, so I noticed that QB is extremely deep this year. I mean, I was having a hard time ranking guys even outside the top 15 because you still have guys like Brady, Matt Ryan, Big Ben, even Josh Allen. Like, it's tough to rank Josh Allen outside the top 15 considering he could make, you know, a second-year leap. And, you know, fantasy-wise, he was amazing towards the end of the season. And then we get Jimmy G back. 
So it's just QB is so deep that if you don't get Pat Mahomes, it's almost worth just punting the position altogether. And, you know, you were mentioning it earlier too, uh, wide receiver. I think I'm going to have a little more respect for the position overall in getting one or two guys early on. Uh, just because if you look at your top 10 rankings before the season started and the actual top 10, it's almost identical. And running back in general, you know, running back's a mess. It's, it's too early to really solidify rankings for that. So it's, it's important to just realize that running back position in general, I think, requires more strategy. I was rolling out guys like C.J. Anderson, Damian Williams in the finals and felt perfectly fine about it. But you just can't get that at wide receiver. You, don't, you can't pick up a Michael Thomas to, you know, plug in in the championship week, for example. So I just think wide receiver in general is stacked, and I'm going to be a little bit higher on them um, heading into next year. All right, Rayvon, what about you? Yeah, I kind of agree. I think, uh, you know, the wide receiver position, there's a lot of value throughout the draft, but those top guys are are pretty irreplaceable as well because it's not like running back where they're going to just, you know, a guy's going to come in and, and get a, a ton of volume. So I think, you know, for me, another position that I think is is top heavy is tight end. And so it's kind of like last year. So I think an ideal start for me is almost like if I can get a running back, a wide receiver and a tight end, you know, if I can get one of those Kelsey Ertz or, or George Kittle types, you know, in the third round, uh, I think that's probably uh, an ideal start for me in the draft. Cause then from there, you know, there's a lot of receivers um, you can get in those middle rounds to kind of shore up your, your team and, and give you some flex options. If you don't, if you're kind of short on running backs and then the quarterback, as Sean mentioned, incredibly deep. So Mahomes is really the only guy and, and Watson as well, just because depending on what the, the Texans do in the offseason, you know, Mahomes and Watson have been the two quarterbacks that have really shown to to have these kind of outlier seasons. So, I, you know, I don't mind taking them for the upside, but I'll almost certainly be waiting till the double digit rounds to take quarterbacks. And, uh, you know, I, I think the, the important thing is trying to be a little smarter about some of the running backs in those middle rounds, as you mentioned, Friedman, because it's another situation where I think it, it's, it's a little top heavy. And, you know, after you get out of that, that middle of the second round, you're, you're really kind of taking some swings here that maybe you don't need to take when there are a lot of very solid wide receivers still going to be left on the board. Yeah. I would say it's a little less of a frozen pond and more of a quagmire, but that's, that's just <laughs> how I would, I would look at it. Um, I, I want your guys thoughts on ranking these fantasy players early in the offseason versus ranking them after the draft versus ranking them in the preseason once we kind of see how teams are starting to assemble their teams and actually deploy them in preseason games. It's just I think it's it's a pretty different exercise. And so I, I want your thoughts on that. For me, this was the first time I had had actually gone through the formal process of ranking players this early in the offseason. Sean what are your thoughts on kind of ranking these guys at different points in the calendar year? Yeah, so this is the earliest I've ever ranked players uh, for the next season as well. Usually I wait till after the draft to do a full projection set. And that's usually how I come up with my rankings. So this is an interesting exercise, but I think I do something similar after every season. Um, it's good to kind of take notes while the season's still fresh. Um, and sort of rank these guys. So it was, it was a lot easier for me to kind of rank manually, which I never do right after the season because, you know, everything's at top of mind. So um, I, I think it was a good exercise to sort of get our thoughts before heading into next year. I remember it was a couple years ago, just sort of making a mental note of how good David Johnson was and not let him slip out of my top three. And then, you know, heading into the draft, it feel like the, the ADP slipped a little bit. So uh, it's good to get while you're in your prime and while you have all the information down. So I, I think this is a good exercise for us. And, um, you know, it's not something that I'm going to be updating every day, but once, once I get the full projection set, that's when it's a little bit easier to update based on news. And then, like you said, when it comes to preseason, you know, any little change or um, any different valuation to have a guy during a preseason game position battles and stuff, it's a lot easier for me to sort of use my projections to kind of guide my rankings from there. Yeah, Rayvon, what, what about you? And uh, any thoughts on uh, kind of ranking guys in terms of like the guys who are, we know are going to be in the league, but they're not on teams. So that could be rookies, but then also some of these free agents, you know, who might be transitioning to, to different situations. Any thoughts on how to approach those guys? So the way I rank for now is uh, I'm essentially ranking for, you know, if you're drafting now, 
And so I, I do think that you have to be, uh, you do it a little differently. And, and some of the guys, like, for example, uh, Le'Veon Bell, you know, I have him, I have him down at 18. And, you know, that's just because we don't know exactly what's going to happen. We don't know what team he's going to be on. Um, you know, I think there's a, a non-zero chance that maybe nobody gives him what he's looking for. And we have another situation, you know, brewing here with him missing, uh, you know, potentially missing games. And so his upside, you still have to kind of balance that out because, you know, he could also be the overall fantasy player one, you know, number one player in fantasy. So, you know, I have him kind of right after David Johnson, you know, kind of down there where I think you want to kind of gobble up all these, uh, these feature backs early if you can. And also I think early on, I do rank running backs in general, a little bit more aggressively running backs that, that, that we know are going to be on, on a team and, and have a big role because I think right now it's just, it's just so difficult with the draft still having not taken place to, to kind of know exactly what the depth charts are going to be. Whereas because every team is kind of using, you know, two, three receivers on, on a regular basis these days in the NFL, you can kind of you can kind of get some value at the pass catchers now at this point of the offseason. Whereas I think once we get everything kind of squared away with the draft, that's when I'll start, you know, moving up some pass catchers. I'll kind of move down some running backs that I think are probably part of the frozen pond or, or quagmire tier or whatever we're talking about. But for right now, I'm a little more aggressive on running backs. And I tend to be a little more aggressive on, on taking stud players in general. I'm going to be – I have my homes up at 24 right now because I think, you know, he just – has the potential to outscore every other quarterback by, you know, four points per game or something like that. And I think right now that's still valuable because um, there's not as much certainty. And so, you know, when you have a guy that's capable of doing something like that, I think you take it. But as the season draws near, I'll definitely kind of bump down the stud quarterbacks and, uh, and, and just kind of be focused more on, on the flex positions, running back and receiver. All right. Let's look at our top 12 players, the, the guys in our first round right now. And uh, at the top, we all unanimously ranked Saquon Barkley number one. I would like to get your thoughts. Actually, let me make sure. Yes, all of us. Number one, Saquon Barkley. I'd like to, to get your thoughts on comparing Saquon Barkley to some of the other guys who could have been in the running for number one. Because I, I think there's you know, a legitimate argument to be made, at least, that Gurley could have been number one. He was you know, the consensus number one in our rankings for 2018. You know, Zeke potentially could have been number one. And then, you know, Christian McCaffrey and Alvin Kamara, I could see how some people would maybe have them ranked number one. Sean, let's start with you. Saquon versus those four other guys and how you kind of sorted through them when you were ranking. They're all so good. It's almost process of elimination. I think, you know, Gurley's end to the season, especially in the playoffs, are going to hurt his stock. So I I think there's going to be a considerable gap between Barkley and even Gurley. I don't know. Barkley just... I, he even exceeded our lofty expectations his rookie season. So for someone that electric to get a massive workload, and there's no doubt in his workload, um, I don't think there's going to be any sort of sophomore slump. He's entering his prime. I just can't think of a reason why I wouldn't have Barkley number one. But like you mentioned, all those guys behind him are, are worthy of a pick. So I'm, you know, I'm looking ahead that you know, having like the fourth or fifth pick is probably going to be pretty valuable mm-hmm. this year just because they're so good. And we can get to them later. But I don't think it's as slam dunk that, you know, Gurley was going into this season. I had Gurley way ahead of everybody else, especially when Le'Veon Bell had the, the holdout concerns. But, you know, I, I think as the offseason goes, I think Barkley's going to be just unanimous number one overall mm-hmm. by most experts. Raybon, what about you? How did you kind of sort through Barkley and then the rest of those guys in the top five? So the thing I really admire about Barkley and the reason I have him number one is because of what he did on, on an offense that wasn't very good. Uh, the Giants finished number 29 in the league in adjusted line yards from football outsiders at just 3.9 per rush. And yet uh, the Giants finished number one in open field yards, which is, you know, it just kind of shows it's, it's all Saquon really doing his thing. And the pass catching, I think, was just superb. And yeah, Sean hit on it. You know, Todd Gurley, the end of the season kind of combined with what we've seen. You know, Gurley is a guy who throughout his career, he's had these really high highs, but he's also had these weird lows. Right. So, you know, the, the, the one year with the, the last year, Jeff Fisher, he actually averaged 3.2 yards per carry, really couldn't get going all season. And, and people were really low on him as well. So, um, you know, this is a guy who we always know he has the upside. But the fact that Sean McVay was willing to continuously 
kind of use him as a, essentially a 50-50 guy, you know, in a timeshare near the end of the season in the most important games. I, I think that's just, you know, kind of, again, you're just trying to be as safe as possible with these picks. And so, you know, I think Barkley and then McCaffrey as well, you know, he was a guy that was playing pretty much every snap. I think he went through a period of like eight weeks in the season where I don't know if he missed uh, missed five snaps. So I love that for him. And, and Zeke is kind of in that same boat where he's going to be out there every every play almost. And uh, the fact that Zeke kind of ramped it up in his receiving usage and and now that Amari Cooper's here and kind of taking a little pressure off that offense and Dak Prescott, I think, I think those three guys are, are are a little bit ahead of the pack for me. And then Gurley comes in number four, kind of right before Alvin Kamara, who I think, you know, now that we've seen Gurley, you know, maybe he's not going to be a 100% snap kind of guy. Puts him more in that Kamara tier of just like an extremely talented guy that could easily finish as a top overall pick. But um, we don't know for sure uh, exactly what his workload is going to be. Yeah, so all of us have Barkley, Gurley, Zeke, and McCaffrey ranked in the top four. and then. Kamara as the unanimous number five. Uh, I would like to think a little bit more about him because Rayvon, as you mentioned, he's someone who does have the capability of being the the number one guy. And uh, in the first month of the 2018 season, when he didn't have Ingram there, he was the number one scorer in fantasy. And so there is this kind of weird dynamic of we don't know yet what's going to happen in that backfield situation. I'm imagining that Mark Ingram will not be back. Uh, he is a free agent, but you know they could look to bring in someone else so that they don't overwork Kamara. Uh, you know, they could draft a rookie. So there are lots of things that, that could happen there, but uh, he is someone who is number five. And, and Sean, as you mentioned, looking ahead, the real value might be in having the fourth pick, maybe the fifth pick, because uh, you know, regardless of who it is, that falls to you at that position, you could end up with a lot of value. At the sixth spot, tied for sixth, we have Melvin Gordon and Devontae Adams. And I ranked Adams ahead of Hopkins, which I'll say, that was a mistake. I'll just, I'll outright say, and I'm not even saying like, oh, that was a philosophical mistake. That was a technical mistake. I did not mean literally to put Adams ahead of Hopkins in my rankings. So I'm going to fix that right after this podcast. But we have uh, Gordon, as the the sixth back off of the board. Uh, And then we have uh, Hopkins and Adams as the wide receivers after that. Sean, I kind of want to get your thoughts on transitioning from the running backs to the wide receivers in the first round and kind of where you make that transition and how you kind of see that tier break. Yeah, so this is right where that would happen. I I would not want the sixth pick, to be honest with you. You know, I I consider it a pretty big drop-off to Melvin Gordon. I had a lot of Gordon this year and he didn't disappoint. He finished sixth running back in PPR despite missing a few games. But, you know, with like Austin Eckler there, you just, you can't bank on him. I don't know. It's, it's tough. But I think going back to what I was saying earlier, when it comes to running back versus wide receiver, how easy it is to sort of add running backs throughout the year. I think this is where I'd actually take a receiver and, you know, I would consider Hopkins number one, but, you know, even if it was a technical error on your part, I, I wouldn't even blame someone for taking Devonte Adams there. I think just getting any one of those guys, including Michael Thomas, I think figuring out which of those three is the best right now is splitting hairs. But I think at six spot, if I were to draft right now, I would actually want to take a receiver over Gordon. Mm-hmm. Chris, where are you in kind of transitioning from those top running backs to the wide receivers? Yeah, so I'm actually curious as to your, I mean, we don't have to go into a whole like 20 minute uh, Keenan Allen, AJ Green debate, but I actually am curious as to why you think it's such an error to rank Hopkins below Adams, because I actually do have Adams number six ahead of Hopkins. And the reason being was you really did not see a bad game from Devontae Adams all season long. Uh, His low in PPR points was 16.1. And he scored in all but four games. He got into the end zone. Hopkins just, you know, he had, you know, right there only 0.7 points of average behind uh, Adams in terms of PPR points per game. Adams had 21.8. Hopkins had 21.1. But Hopkins did show, uh, you know, some some vulnerability in terms of a floor. You know, in the, in the playoffs, he had only five for 37. Um, he had a, a th- another 36-yard game against Indianapolis and uh, didn't quite score touchdowns in as many games. He had uh, – about eight games where he went scoreless. So I actually think that Adams is is a tiny bit uh, more consistent. I think the upside is, is the same for both of them, but I am uh, on team Adams here. Yeah, I mean, I, I like Adams, but I just believe that he's not as talented of a player 
And I think Hopkins does have a – it's hard to say this because Adams has been so consistent on a per-game basis, but I think Hopkins actually has the higher floor. A lot of Adams' consistency has been touchdown-related. And with the new offensive system coming into Green Bay, with Aaron Rodgers being another year older, you know, with – Randall Cobb probably leaving the offense, just like with a lot of change happening there. I'm just not as sold that uh, what we've seen out of Devontae Adams in the past is what we will see moving forward. But I feel pretty confident that what we've seen out of Hopkins for the last you know two to four years is what we're going to see out of him this next season. Uh, but I, you know, I I do like Adams. Uh, I just I think Hopkins physically is more gifted, and I feel a little more certain in the projection for him moving forward. Does that, does that make sense? Oh, yeah. No, definitely. I think, you know, that's definitely fair. I think going into last season, I would have definitely, you know, been way up on Hopkins. I think I still love him. I still have him number 10 overall. Um, I think I love what I saw from Adams this year. I think he, he was a guy that I didn't always think was the most talented guy, especially after he had that really down season. I think it was 2015. But just the, the, his mind mode with Aaron Rodgers and the way they kind of are able to, to produce touchdowns. And we've seen this before. We've seen this with Jordy Nelson. And Rodgers, right? So um, he's the one guy where, you know, you know, touchdowns are kind of this, they're very uh, high variance from year to year. You can't really confidently predict or project, I should say, touchdowns the way you can receptions and yards and the volume statistics. But I think because of what we've seen out of Rodgers in his past and, uh, and Adams this year, who I think got a lot better, I'm, I'm pretty confident. I still think that, uh, you know, he's going to be leaned on and he's, you know, if there's anyone that's a bet to lead the, the league in touchdown, receptions I still think it's Adam so I kind of love that uh, that upside but I do agree I don't think there's much uh, much separating the two all right so looking at these numbers all of us have I believe Adams and Hopkins ranked uh, above Michael Thomas but Thomas is there as our third wide receiver and then we have this trio of running backs in the last four picks of the first round we have Nick Chubb we have Le'Veon Bell and we have James Conner Sean I would like to get your thoughts on those running backs and they're I mean I wouldn't say that's the beginning of the the frozen pond but that's sort of like the edge of the pond you know like right before you start to step into the water that's what I think those guys are so how do you kind of distinguish between those guys and all of the running backs who come after them yeah I think you're on to something I, I would agree that you know Bell with the uncertainty right now if you're drafting He's sort of teetering on the edge of that. But James Conner, you know, we saw at the end of the year when Jalen Samuels got the opportunity, um, he thrived as well. So there's potential for a running back committee there. So that gives me some concern getting him in the first round. You know, I had the, I mentioned earlier, I had the pleasure of having him as my last round pick, but spending first round equity on that gives me some pause. But certainly, you know, if you're ranking running backs, he's way up there. Um, if he does retain that workhorse role, we saw, you know, how he could put up uh, elite numbers. So I think it's it's worth the risk still. But, you know, when we go into a season where there's some concern of a potential running back by committee, you just have to be careful. But I, I don't consider Chubb part of that group. You know, with him, I think his his upside is basically dictated by how involved he gets in the receiving game. And we saw after Kitchens took over, he had – um, I think it was like five out of the last six games where he had multiple receptions. So that was good to see. But um, I'm hoping they can incorporate him more in the passing game and, you know, give him a full workhorse role. And he, he can certainly be an elite RB1 going into the second season. So uh, I'm fine taking Chubb, um, you know, around pick nine or 10 if that's where he's going. I think uh, he's definitely above that uh, frozen pond here. And uh, Rayvon, your thoughts on those running backs closing out the first round? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm high on Connor. Uh, I'm high on Chubb and a little lower on Bell. I really do like Chubb. I think Sean hit it three or more targets in six of his last seven games, and so you know that's that's a real positive. And that's really the only thing holding Chubb back because I think the old line will be solid. I think Chubb is a talented guy who, who you can you know not only he's a grind, not only can he be a grinder and a high volume guy, but um, he can he can break off long runs. We saw him getting you know, 90% of the backfield carries or more in most of his games once he took over as the starter. Duke Johnson really wasn't involved at all. So, uh, you know, I think Chubb has a huge upside. And Connor, we've just, looking at what Steelers running backs have been able to produce uh, over these past few years, whether it's been Le'Veon, whether it's been D'Angelo Williams, or whether it's been Connor, I think there's just a ton of upside with Steelers running backs in general. You know, we'll see what happens with, with Antonio Brown, but that could even potentially open up, you know, more targets or just more reliance on, 
on the running game. And I still think Pittsburgh is another team that's going to have a pretty solid O-line, still have a pretty solid quarterback in Ben Roethlisberger. So I, I love Connor and I love Chubb here. Yeah, uh, I'm with you guys. I, I do like Chubb quite a bit. And I think, as you mentioned, a lot of uh, his future value will just be predicated based on what he's able to do in the passing game and how they involve him there. James Conner, someone who is definitely uh, intriguing to me. Out of the three, I am easily the highest on Le'Veon Bell. And maybe I didn't learn my, my lesson last year <laughs> with, with, with what he did to us. Um, but this is sort of my, um, like, planting my flag early, like Andrew Luck type of moment. If you can get Le'Veon Bell in the second half of the first round, I think you uh, should be required by law to do it. I think he just he has that type of league winning potential that we've seen. I don't know how much of it has to do with the Steelers offensive line and, and the Steelers system, but I think wherever he goes, he's going to be pretty locked in as the guy and he has that three down skill set and he's so young enough that I think he can have success and we've seen We've seen running backs go from one team to another and have success. We see that much more than with wide receivers. So, I, you know, I think it's a situation where even if he, he leaves Pittsburgh, which I think we're all assuming that is likely to happen, he could still have success with wherever he lands up. So I think he is going to be available in the second half of a lot of first rounds. And when that happens, I will be looking to, uh, to acquire him. Uh, just outside of the first round, I should say, there is this second wave of wide receivers. We have Julio Jones, Odell Beckham Jr., Tyreek Hill, and Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown, I should point out, is not ranked by any of us in the first round. So uh, mission accomplished there. Any thoughts on these guys who were kind of fringe first rounders but didn't quite make it in for us, Sean? No, they're they're all good. So it does give some value towards the later end of the like if you have twelfth pick, you know, drafting two of these guys. Like I mentioned earlier, I know you guys are on the same page, but I do have my concerns with Connor. So I would be tempted to sort of just draft, you know, Julio and Odell Beckham or uh, Tyreek and Odell Beckham or something like that, and then kind of just play my game later on with running backs and try to get those those upside plays that might take advantage of a situation where, you know, the, the starting running back goes down or something like that. I just think there's more options for you if you load up at receiver early on. So I think they're going to be a very valuable position to be in the drafts because, you know, they're all great. Uh, you know, Antonio Brown, we'll, we'll have to see where he ends up, but I'm shying away from him a bit heading into these drafts. So, you know, like you said, we'll have to see where these guys end up. Their stock could go up or down based on that. Yeah. And I should say the Antonio Brown situation, I think he probably will end up in Pittsburgh again. I mean, I, I might be very wrong about that, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking that that is something that is very possible. Whereas maybe uh, a lot of the market is thinking that he will be moving elsewhere. Raybon, these wide receivers who are fringe first rounders for us as a group, and you have a couple of them ranked in the first round. What are your thoughts on them collectively? Sean mentioned it earlier. I think they, these these top guys are are really um, valuable in this in this particular year. I actually have Michael Thomas grouped in with Odell, uh, Julio, yeah, Odell, yeah. Antonio, Tyreek, and then I actually have Michael Thomas after them. The reason being, when when you look at Michael Thomas, he's a very he's a little bit lower floor, higher ceiling in, in terms of his production this year. So he had six games under fifty yards, and I, you know there were times where he just his average depth of target isn't always uh, that high in a lot of these games. We saw Drew Brees kind of struggle down the stretch with, with some of the throws further down the field. And so, you know, that just concerns me a little, whereas I think Julio, Odell, Tyreek, AB, you know, those guys I think are a little more confident in just being able to consistently put up, uh, you know, a high floor game after game after game. And, of course, they have the ceiling. Uh, I have Antonio Brown 13th kind of right in the middle of Julio, right after Julio and Odell. I just think – but Antonio, you know, he would be a first rounder for me if there was a little more certainty. Uh, I don't really think, you know, I know Friedman, you, you're feeling like his game has kind of fallen off a little bit. I don't really think that's the, exactly the case. I think there was a lot going on there, including some fall off with, with Ben Roethlisberger. And so, you know, I, I still like him, but I think there's just a little bit of risk there with not only where he ends up, but now we're starting to see him, you know, he's had some issues with, uh, it just came out today that he's had a, He's been in a domestic dispute and, you know, some legal trouble there. And uh, combine that with, you know, his blow up or supposed blow up him not showing up for, for, for work before the last game of the season. Just so he's kind of getting to this place where he seems to be a little riskier just in terms of what could potentially happen off the field. And that's why I'm, I'm putting him as a, at number 13 as a, as a second rounder because I just don't know. And I don't feel as confident that, that he's 
you know, he's that lock to just be on the field every single week, I guess you could say, as he was in the past. Yeah, not to mention his facial hair. A recent development with the facial hair uh, not not becoming of a number one wide receiver. Sean, I believe that you're going to take a bit of a hiatus from the NFL, just a little bit of a time off. You're going to, you know, for the next couple of weeks, focus on basketball, maybe even start to prepare for baseball. What are you going to be working on for the uh, the coming weeks? Yeah, so usually this time of year, I take a little break from NFL, you know, do my thing with NBA, March Madness coming up, set some of our uh, stuff up for MLB. And then apparently there's this new uh, football league that you guys are going to fill me in with. I might. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I like doing experimental things, too. And that involves, you know, back testing my models for NFL and, you know, tweaking things for next year. So more of the mathematical side, um, as opposed to really focusing on rankings for next year. So I'm not fully going away from NFL, but giving, you know, taking a little bit of a mental holiday from NFL over the next couple months. And then, um, you know, tracking the draft and rookies and that, that time of year. But um, I will come out with my full projections after the draft is uh, complete. Yeah, Sean, all that sounds good, but really abandon all of your plans and uh, start researching immediately the Alliance of American Football. I need you to tell me what a Mike Martz uh, offense <laughs> like in this day of age. Yeah. Uh, Steve Spurrier is the head coach of a team. I need you to break all of this down and give me the numbers. I, it's going to be fun projecting Trent Richardson again. I, I saw he's the starting <laughs> running back on one of the teams. They're actually the supposedly the worst team in the league. So yeah, it'll be fun. These these old uh, Christian Hackenberg's in it. So oh, yeah. Yeah, it should be fun. Mike Vick is the offensive coordinator for the team <laughs> in Atlanta. So uh, a lot uh, of intrigue going on with this league. Chris, what are you going to be working on in the coming weeks? So I will be I'll be continuing to do some NFL, you know, more commentary based pieces, um, things about, you know, what we learned from this season and, and how we can use it going forward. Um, I'll obviously be continue to be doing the uh, I'll take that bet on on ESPN plus. And uh, we'll be having a lot of uh, just other projects around other sports that I really haven't been able to concentrate as much. I'm excited about college basketball. I'll be transitioning into a lot more NBA like I was doing uh, when I first joined the Action Network last season. And, uh, you know, I think I know me and you and I are going to to, to probably still be doing this podcast every week and uh, with, with various guests and, and Sean and everybody coming coming through. And uh, we'll, be, we'll get to talk about some more some more NFL stuff that we haven't always been able to to kind of dive into during the, during the season um, just because of, you know, time constraints. We're trying to break down all the games. I'm sure we can have a nice, nice, lively Antonio Brown debate at some point. And, uh, I look forward to that, except I don't. Uh, okay, <laughs> that is going to do it for this episode of the Action Network NFL Podcast. For Sean Corner and Chris Raybon, I'm Matthew Friedman, Matt F. Dewerkel. See you again next episode. 